It's good to be with you all tonight. Uh, I want to welcome the live stream audience tuning in. Um, yeah, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, I am normally not here. Maybe you're wondering, why are you here? Well, Scott gave me a call and he said, man, that Wednesday night group, they just really need help. No, I'm just kidding. Really, every time I've tuned in, I've heard about the snacks. So that might be the real reason I'm here. But no, um, Scott asked me if I would uh, come and kind of co-teach uh, with him. And so I'm excited about that. Uh, we are going to be jumping into another book of the Bible pretty soon. Um, I understand you guys just finished Esther uh, and then had a kind of a prayer workshop. And then we had the business meeting. Uh, but what we wanted to do in between was we wanted to take uh, two weeks and do kind of just a teaching on how to study the Bible, because we think that's super important. And so that's what we're going to focus on tonight. Um, before we do, though, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the great opportunity it is to be here and to be together. <clears throat> Lord, to get to open up your word and get to learn from you. And that really is an amazing thing that I know I often take for granted. But you have told us that you have breathed out every part of this word. That the men who wrote this, they spoke from you as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that... Uh, when we receive this word as your word, we receive it as it truly is. Uh, like Paul commended the Thessalonian church, that we receive it not as the word of men, but what it, as what it truly is, the word of God. And so, Father, we ask for your help tonight in every way, both to help us in understanding, but also to help us in our desires, to give us a greater desire and a greater passion for you and knowing you through your word. And so God, we pray for your help and we thank you in the name of Jesus. We pray, amen. Amen. Well, we certainly wanna talk about the how of how to study the Bible. If we're gonna take two weeks on how to study the Bible, we wanna talk about the how. Uh, we wanna talk about the method, the process, the steps we can take to rightly study God's word. But I want to take this week and talk about the why. So before we ever get to the how, I want to talk about the why, because why we do something is extremely important. Why we do something is what drives us, uh, really with anything in our lives. Like if you're somebody who um, loves to cook meals for other people, and that's, that's just a way that you love to minister to others, there's a reason you do that. There's a why that's driving you to do that. And even when we try to start maybe a new habit in our lives, like if we know we need to exercise, but we have a hard time doing that, if we don't have a why that is driving us, we'll probably give it a day or two and then we'll stop. So we need to know our why. We need to truly know why we need to study the Bible to give us that great motivation. And basically, all I want to do tonight is uh, take time to think about two reasons why we should study the Bible. There are probably way more than that that we could come up with. Um, I just want to talk about two. But first, 
I actually just want to open it up. And you probably don't normally do this, but th there's probably so many things we could say about why should we study the Bible that I'd like to hear from you. And if you share, I'm just going to repeat what you share for the live stream audience. Um, but yeah, what are some reasons you can think of of why we study the Bible? Yeah. Yeah, to get to know God. Great. Yeah, to get direction for our lives. Yeah, to get closer to God. That's good. He, he sent his word to us. Mm, it's our manual for living life. That's great. Mm, it's one of the three pillars for our life and friendship with God. What are the other two? We've got <laughs> prayer, Christian action. I like that. It's good. It's good. Anybody else? This is good. Oh, that's good. To get to know the attributes of God. Mm, that's good. So we know we're leaning on his word, what he thinks we should do, be doing, not what we think we should be doing. So his will for our lives. That's good. Yeah. Good. Anybody else? Yeah. We're commanded to. That's good. We can just do this all night. I won't even have to teach. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, that's good. I, I like just hearing from you guys. And Again, there's probably so many things we could kind of come up with because um, it's such an important topic. Um, I want to hit on two things tonight, and there are two things that you guys have mentioned, um, but hopefully we can just kind of dive in and uh, really focus on them. This might even be things that you already know, but sometimes um, we need to be reminded of that why. And when we're reminded of why we need to do something or why we should do something, it can kindle that desire in us to do it again. And all of us, when it comes to studying and reading the Bible, probably go like this, right? We have seasons where we uh, are digging into it, and we have seasons where we're not. And maybe you're, you're here tonight and you're like, I've never dug into the Bible. And that's okay. That's, that's great. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's why we're doing this is to, um, to hopefully equip and to spur on that, that very thing. So, all right, the first reason we should study the Bible is because God desires that we would study his word. God desires that we would study his word. I'm going to go through several scriptures. You can write them down or uh, turn if you're a flash, fast flipper, flash flipper. Um, all right, so first reason God desires that we would study his word. The Bible says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff 
which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That's my favorite psalm, Psalm 1. And in it, we learn about living a blessed life. We learn about living as a blessed man. And typically, I think we think of blessings as like gifts from God. And that's part of blessing. But blessing has multiple kind of dimensions to it in the Bible and how it's defined. And really here, when it's talking about blessing, it's talking about happiness or joy. In fact, some translations will literally translate the first line, happy is the man. And so this is a rich and deep joy that this man has. And what is the key to this happiness, to this joy? The key is not to follow the counsel of the wicked, but to follow the counsel of God. His delight is in God's word. He meditates upon God's word day and night, and he paints this beautiful picture of this man. He's like a tree. He is firmly rooted so that when the wind comes, he does not blow away like the chaff that simply fly away. He, he is fruitful, like his life has fruit in it. The chaff, it doesn't. It's dead. And he's full of life while the chaff is literally lifeless. This is the picture of the kind of people we want to be. Jesus, when he speaks uh, after his greatest sermon, he says, um, he, he, he says to the crowd that everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain falls, the floods come, the winds blow and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Again, he paints this picture of a rootedness of when the storms of life come, what will be the anchor? What will be the thing that we lean on, that we trust in, that can lead even to happiness in the sorrow? Jesus again says in Matthew 4, 4, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, teaching us that the Bible is absolutely necessary for the Christian life. That if we build our lives on anything else, it will crumble and fall when times get difficult. But when we have built it upon the word, when the storms of life come, we will be able to rest in him. This is why God's word is so precious. You just keep going. Uh, Psalm 19, verse 10, I love this. It says that the words of God are more to, it says more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. We could probably be challenged by this, right? Like if I was holding this and I also had a pile of gold and I said, which one would you take? We would be tempted to take the gold, right? But it says that this is more to be desired than gold. It says, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. The Bible is the sweetest thing we can know. And that's why the Bible speaks of us hiding his word in our heart, hiding the word of God in our heart. A couple other scriptures that I love. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, that like newborn infants, we are to long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I, as many of you know, have a little seven-month-old boy, and I know what it's like for an infant to long for milk. <laughs> he wants it bad. That's a picture Paul uses. So, <laughs> but do we long for God's word like that? Do we hunger for it? Do we desire it in that way? That's the way that the Bible paints what our affection should be like toward God's word. And then in Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 23, uh, it's, it's painting a picture in um, this wisdom literature of a father speaking to his son and, and giving him wisdom, giving him the word of God, the words of the wise. He says, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape your sight. I love this. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. And then he says this, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life. Um, I like how the NIV translates this verse. Uh, it says, guard your heart uh, for from it uh, flows everything we do. Um, from it flows the springs of our entire lives. And what is more important for our hearts? Well, what it just said above it, that we would keep his word in our hearts. So the Bible says that his word is necessary for us to have true, abundant, eternal life, that life is found in him. It is the only firm thing that we can stand upon and rest our lives upon. It leads to true happiness despite circumstances. It's more to be desired than gold. It is to be longed for. And it is to dwell in us richly and to be kept in our hearts. I just love how all these scriptures paint what our attitude should be toward God's word. And I hope even as we're reading them, I know as I was reading them, it was kindling in me a desire for God's word. Oh yeah, it is worth more than gold. It is sweeter than honey. But it's important to clarify a few things uh, when talking about this and when talking about how um, God desires us to be in his word. Um, the Bible commends us. It's interesting. It's, it, it's, it's not like we find in the Bible you shall read the word every day at 6 a.m. for 30 minutes. <laughs> we don't find that in the word. It's not, it's not that specific. It paints a, a, a deeper picture. It paints a picture that we would meditate upon the word, that we would be dwelling on it and thinking about it and, and, and looking at it from every angle, that we would treasure the word. You, you don't just cast aside something that you, you treasure that we would hide it in our hearts and that we would follow it and obey it. Um, I think it can be very easy, and I know I've fallen into this myself, so I'm speaking, speaking to myself too, but it can be very easy in this day where we have so many great like Bible reading plans where you, know, you print it out and you have the boxes and you go through and you have different ideas and different plans you can do, but it can be very easy to simply kind of open up the Bible, read that day, 
check the box and be like, ooh, that feels good, and then just move on. But God's word isn't really telling us to do that. It's telling us to go deeper. It's telling us to meditate on the word. It's telling us for it to dwell in us, that, that we would really, again, study it, understand it, and really live our lives in the light of it. And that's really what we're doing. We're, we'll get to the method next week of how we study the Bible, the actual bones and details. But um, And many of you probably, probably have learned that before as well. But um, really, what we're doing is we're really just reading carefully. We're really just meditating upon the meaning and thinking about how it applies to our lives. Um, and so it's important that we know that there's not like a specific outline that the Bible must give us. In fact, we can even think about the fact that there's been cultures who have had little reading ability. And so they would have had to hear the word read to them. They would have to listen to the word um, rather than read it. But again, even hearing it, they can still dwell on it in their hearts. They can still meditate upon it. They can still follow it with their lives. And so um, there's no exact method. And yet I also want to say that Christians for a while have come up with this idea of kind of a, a quiet time or time with the Lord, call many different things. That's pretty helpful. Pretty helpful to set aside some time in the day to intentionally spend in God's word. Because the truth is, we won't default into that. That won't just be our default mode to be meditating and treasuring and, and following God's word. <laughs> it's not where we go when we go on autopilot. And so we need intentionality. We need, we need to do it together. We need to encourage one another toward it. Um, but we also need to, to come up with some methods too. And so we get to that. But it's important to know um, that the Bible is emphasizing something more. So why, would it, why do I share this first? Why, why do we start here that um, really uh, the first thing is that God desires us to study his word? And the reason is, I think it's a great motivation to think about the fact that my Lord desires me to do this. Like when I put it in that light, like my God desires me. It's his will for me to do this. To, to Again, not, not to wake up at 6 a.m. with coffee in hand and 30, like, like it's, not, it's not that. It doesn't have to be that. But my God desires that I meditate on his word. My God desires that I long for his word. My God desires that I live my life, my life in light of his word. Um, and that gives me great motivation. When God wants me to do something, that doesn't mean I always do it. If we're being honest, right? We all struggle with the flesh. Just because I know God wants me to do something doesn't mean I always do it. But when I can remind myself of that, it gives me great motivation to want to do it. So that's the first thing. And that would be uh, good enough alone for us to just say that and stop there. Uh, but I want to bring in a second reason that I think is really helpful. And a lot of you all hit on this. Um, uh, but I'd like to, to talk about it and think about it for a few minutes because I, I think it's helpful too. The second reason that we should study the Bible is to grow in our relationship with God. Several of you said this. The second reason that we should study the Bible is to grow in our relationship with God. Again, this list is not exhaustive. We can come up with way more reasons. But I want to highlight this one for, for a specific reason. And I want to talk about two things that I think are helpful and hopefully aren't confusing. And those two things are the ideas of union and communion. Union 
and communion. And what I want to do before I define them biblically is give an illustration that I think is helpful and gives kind of a picture. So if I ask, uh, what makes me a married man? Like, what, what makes me a married man? Uh, must I bring flowers to my wife on the first Monday of every month to retain the status of married? <laughs> I should do that. Uh, must I fill out a form every year that reapplies for, for marriage again for that year? Must I meet some standard of taking two vacations every year with my spouse to gain that status of married? No, of course not. What makes me a married man is my wedding day. Like what makes me a married man is that a, mi a minister, well, a minister of the gospel, my father-in-law, uh, Pastor Greg, <laughs> officiated the ceremony and married us. You know, uh, that, that, we, uh, that we were united in this sacred, holy covenant together of marriage that God has instituted that the two became one. That's what makes me married. That's what makes me a married man. That's what gives me my status. I got the status of married that day, and that status hasn't left me. That is union. That's the idea of union, That the wedding day. That's why I'm married. That's why my status is, because of that day. But what if I don't go home tonight, and I don't let my wife know? not going to turn out good. <laughs> what if I decide to take a three-month break from my marriage and don't let her know? It's not going to be good. <laughs> Hopefully she's there when I get back. No. Um, yeah, she will. <laughs> but in theory, let's say her grace is overflowing. In theory, even if I do that, I am still a married man. My status of being married man hasn't changed. No matter how I treat my wife, again, the illustration's not perfect. At some point, she'd leave me. But no, no matter how I treat my wife, my, my, the status is that I am married, but my experience of the marriage would be a pretty bad one. The reverse would be true, right? If, if I go on dates with my wife regularly, if I spend time with her, um, if I'm showing love for her, the experience in my marriage will be a good one. Uh, my status has remained the same. The, the experience there, that is the idea of communion. That's the idea of communion. So if you can think about it in that way, the wedding day is the union. The ongoing relationship with my wife is the communion. And the reason I bring this up is because I feel that often when we talk about studying the Bible in church, there can be, honestly, kind of a lot of baggage with it. Uh, what I mean is this, I, I think for some, uh, you might believe that studying the Bible is the pastor's job and not mine. <laughs> it's his, that's what he does, he tells me what it means, not for me. For others, you might feel like you've been so beaten over the head with commands to study the Bible, and yet you know you never study the Bible, and so bringing up this topic brings up a lot of shame. As soon as somebody tells you, the, uh, whoever's teaching it says, you should really be in the word, it brings, up, it brings up a feeling of shame. For others, 
Reading the Bible might be something that's like a badge of honor. It might be something that you're really proud of. That you're like, man, I know. I know I'm, I'm in the Word every day. And I know all these other Christians aren't. I must be a pretty good Christian. I must be having it pretty well and, and doing pretty well. God must, must love me a lot. Um, because of this, this is the reason I bring up this idea of union and communion. And let me explain. So first, let's talk about union. Uh, a pastor named Kevin DeYoung says, Union with Christ may be the most important doctrine you've never heard of. Well, I like that because, honestly, we don't talk about it a lot. But what is union with Christ? What, what does that mean? Well, to b- define it really broadly, union with Christ is the event of us being spiritually united to Jesus. Um, that's not a great definition. That's my own definition. There can be a lot more you could say. But simply, union with Christ is the event of us being spiritually united to Jesus. I say an event because our union with Christ is not a process. We are either united to him or we are not united to him. Uh, so when we are united to him, that, that's, that's an event. And I also say it's spiritual because it's not a union where we are somehow physically united to Christ's body. That would be weird. It's a spiritual union, which makes sense. But why is this doctrine so important? Why, why that quote, this might be the most important doctrine you've never heard of? Um, well, it's incredibly important because if we weren't united to Christ, we wouldn't be justified. If we weren't united to Christ, we wouldn't be in the process of being sanctified. If we weren't united to Christ, we wouldn't be adopted. If we weren't united to Christ, we wouldn't one day be glorified. And so really, our union with Christ is is what every kind of aspect of us being saved hinges on. Um, And it's all across the Bible. And yet, I think it's really easy to miss. Um, But it's all across the Bible, especially in Paul's letters. Um, A a pastor named uh, David Kayward writes this, uh, just quoting the statistic, but he says, this little, these little phrases, in Christ or in him, referring to Christ, are found over 160 times in the Apostle Paul's writing. And so again and again, and, and once you like know this and you then go read Paul's letters, you see it everywhere. Like he's always saying, in Christ or in him. And it's so easy to miss. But what is he saying there? Well, he's, he's hitting at this idea of us being spiritually united to Christ, that we are in Christ and Christ in is, is in us. And um, I'll share a scripture to illustrate. Uh, Galatians 2.20 is one of my favorites. And, and Paul says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. So it's like Paul wasn't on that physical cross with Jesus. He wasn't like, yeah, when Jesus was nailed on the cross, I was right there with him getting crucified. No, what he's talking about is a spiritual crucifixion with Christ because he's united to Christ. And then he says, it is no longer I who live. So he's like, it's not even just me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That Jesus is in me. I am in Christ and he is in me. And it's our being united to Christ that really is the foundation of our salvation. Because how are we to receive Christ's righteousness other than being united to him? Um, 
Another place that the, the Apostle Paul writes of this is in Romans chapter 6, uh, verse 4. And again, he uses the same idea. He says, we were there, we, or, sorry, we were buried therefore with him, that's with Christ, by baptism into death. So again, it's, it's spiritually, we were buried with Christ in the grave into death. In order that, he says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we have the spiritual resurrection life that, that Christ has accomplished for us because we're united to him. Um, we could go on, but the point of why I bring up this doctrine of the union of Christ, and part of it is a great mystery, right? Part of it of, of how, like, how does that work that we are spiritually united to Christ? Part of it is just mystery. Um, but it really is a beautiful doctrine all throughout the Bible. Um, and it really speaks of God's love for us because if, it, if his love is set on Christ, and we are in Christ, that means his love is set on us. And it won't leave. But here's the point I want to make right now. Union with Christ is like the wedding day. It's, it's like being united to Christ, like that's, that's the, the event of when we are saved, when we put our faith in Christ, it's like that's when we are united to him. Uh, that's like the wedding day. It's, it's a done deal. It's an event that happens, and we don't lose it. Um, and the reason why we need this um, is because it's so crucial to, to the gospel. Um, I just thought of another verse that's a, that's a great one, uh, a simple one. Uh, Romans 8, verse 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Um, but here's the reason why we need this. Even if you know this, I think you need to be reminded of it, that God does not save you because of your Bible reading. God does not love you more when you read the Bible more. God does not love you less when you read the Bible less. His love is set on Christ, and when you are in Christ, his love has been set on you. That's why Paul can say, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Well, it, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You don't have a better standing before God, different than your other Christians, because you read your Bible more. Uh, that's, that's not how the gospel works. And we need to know that. Um, I remember when I was first getting into developing the habit of reading the Bible and studying the Bible, I definitely fell into this. Um, and still I fight it today. But, you know, I, I, I had my little calendar and I checked the boxes and, and that's not wrong, of course. Um, it's good to keep track. But I remember whenever I would have days where I would read the Bible in a row, I'd be feeling pretty good. And then I'd miss a day and I'd be like, oh, man, I'm the worst Christian. And then I'd miss a couple days and I'd be like, man, like the Lord is just not looking on me. You know, he's, he's, he's honestly disappointed in me now. I missed a couple days. I stopped the fight then. But this doctrine of union with Christ reminds me, like, my worth is in Christ. And his love for me is not fluctuating based on my behavior. So we need to be reminded that we are deeply loved because we have been united with Christ. But we also need to remember 
that there is also communion with Christ. So we have union with Christ. We also have communion with Christ. And while we want to, like, like, hopefully that lifts the burden off your back and feeling a lot of the feelings that we can associate with Bible reading to hear of union with Christ. We also want the idea of communion with Christ to press us in. To say, no, God wants a relationship with us. That's his will for our lives. And so if we, if we love him in response to his love for us, we got to press in. Uh, communion with Christ can be defined as fellowship or relationship. Um, and this is, this is the second reason we need to, uh, this is the second reason we ought to study the Bible is to have that deeper communion, have that relationship with God. And it's incredible to me, again, so many things, I find this when I'm teaching the youth, so many things that I know in my mind as soon as I take time to dwell on them just a little bit, they really blow my mind. Like the simple fact that God like wants a relationship with us. Like he could have created all things and just stepped back and been totally uninvolved, totally detached, totally like, I mean, he made everything, it's beautiful. He could have just left us on our own. And yet the fact that he wants a relationship with us is incredible. Us tiny little humans we see it from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. We see it in the Garden of Eden when God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, it says that his presence was there. And then when man sins and Adam and Eve have to be removed from God's presence because of their sin, we still see God pursuing his people, bringing his presence among them in ways that it can be there and not destroy them because of the, his holiness, but bringing his presence among them and pursuing them. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, God chose his love in us. And so he still pursued us. He brought the people of Israel out of Egypt and his presence was with them in the pillar of fire and in the cloud of smoke. He was with them. Then he was with them in the Ark of the Covenant. He was with them in the tabernacle. He was then with them in the temple. And even when they sinned and the, the presence of God, uh, the, the manifested presence of God left the temple and they were exiled um, and all of that happened. And even when they came back and where we're at in Nehemiah, God still pursued his people even though they continued to sin. Even though they continued to give him reason and reason again, to remove his presence from them, he kept pursuing it. He kept pursuing us. And ultimately, where we see the greatest fulfillment is in Jesus Christ, who's called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. He came to be among us. He came to be with us. He came to sit across from us. Of course, that's not us, us. That's people 2,000 years ago. But he came to sit across from people to touch them, to talk to them, to be right there with them. And then even when Christ leaves, he promises his Holy Spirit and he sends his Holy Spirit to be dwelling within us, his presence within us. And then even at the very end of the Bible, in Revelation, we read, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And so all through the story of the Bible, we see that God wants fellowship with us. 
And that's mind-blowing because we continue to sin, sin again and again against him, and yet he pursues us. And so when we think about this idea of our communion with Christ, our, our relationship with God, just a question for you to consider tonight, think about it, is how is your relationship with God right now? Uh, again, if, if union with Christ is the wedding day, communion with Christ is like, how's the marriage going? You know, like, how's it going? You had a good point, in the, and, and really this is a very biblical image because Paul says that marriage reflects the relationship of Christ and the church. So I don't think it's wrong to use this idea, but um, like if, it, if we're thinking of it like a marriage with God, like how, how's it going? Uh, we want to remind ourselves that our position before God is secure because of our union with Christ, but our experience of our relationship with God is largely dependent upon our pursuing God and his word. I mean, there are, there are different aspects to it. There are multiple pillars to it, as Bob said. But the, really, the primary way, uh, maybe the, the fullest way that we can experience fellowship with God in this life right now is through the, the meditation upon his word. Uh, every relationship requires communication, and the same is true of our relationship with God. Of course, it's not the same as the human relationship, but every relationship requires communication. And so, again, uh, God's word is his communication to us, and then we respond in our communication back to him in prayer. But one of the other things that a relationship needs is you, you have to let yourself be known in a relationship. If you don't have a relationship where you don't let yourself be known, it's not much of a relationship. Um, quite honestly, this I, I struggle to do this a lot. Let myself be known in a relationship. Um, and when I have, I can see how those relationships have been deep. When I haven't, I, I can see how they've been shallow. But one of the amazing things about the Bible is the Bible is God making himself known to us allowing us in, allowing us to know him, revealing who he is. And then he invites us in prayer. I love this. Like he, he knows everything about us. He knows more about us than we know. And yet he still invites us in prayer to like pour our hearts out in a way where we're like, God, here's who I am. Even though he already knows everything. It's like, that's how we relate right? That's how we experience relationships. Like, even if I know in my head God knows everything about me, when I pour out my heart before him and let him know everything about me, I feel such a, a greater closeness, or such a greater communion and fellowship with God. Um, and so really, the, it's amazing just to think about the fact that God invites us into this relationship. The Greatest command in the Bible, which are many know, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I heard somebody say this once. I can't remember who it was, but it's so good. You cannot love what you do not know. You cannot love what you do not know. And this is so true, right? It goes back to relationships. Like if you come up to me and we don't really know each other, you're like, Brenton, I love you. I'm like, 
that's nice. That's nice. I'm very thankful you said that to me. But am I going to feel truly loved? Well, not really. You don't really know me. But if my wife says she loves me, that's very meaningful because she knows all the mess, all the dirt, all my mistakes, everything about me, and she still chooses to love me. Well, the same is true with, with our relationship with God. If, 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 we, if we do not know him, then we cannot love him. And so really, one of the greatest purposes of our lives is loving God. That's the great commandment he's given us. We would glorify him by loving him with all of ourselves and loving others. The Bible allows us to know him so that we might love him. So that we might have that deeper communion and relationship with him. So in closing, the two reasons that we've talked about tonight about why we should study the Bible are, is because God desires that we would study his word. He desires that for us in our lives. And studying his word deepens our relationship with him. And so a couple of questions um, for you to think about in closing is, um, first, just how is your relationship with God going right now? Like, wh where's your relationship with God at? Um, have you been married a while, but you haven't put the work into the marriage? And again, we got to keep both things, right? It's like, we have been totally justified by our union with Christ. His love is set on us, does not, you know, our standing before God does not fluctuate based on our good days and bad days. That's so important. And yet, are we putting the work into the relationship? Because our experience of our relationship with God will grow stronger and deeper. So, you know, simply, how's the relationship going? Do you feel prompted to invest more? Hearing about why to study about, do you, do you feel prompted to invest deeper in that relationship? And then a second question to think about is what sort of thoughts and feelings do you have around the Bible? Like if you kind of examine your own heart, like do you have thoughts where you're just disinterested? Do you have thoughts of shame? Do you have thoughts of pride? Do you, do you have thoughts that are basically more like Roman Catholic, like the, the priest handles the word or the pastor handles the word, it's not, not for the people. You know, like the, the Reformation fought hard for us to have that word in our hands, be able to read it in our language, have it at our fingertips. But, but is that where you find yourself, in that mindset? And how can you realign yourself with these ideas of our union with Christ, that our standing is set in him, and also this idea that God wants deeper communion with us. And how can we push toward that? So this week we talked about the why. Next week we'll talk about the how, and we'll go through, um, it's very basic, uh, three-step um, process or method for how to study the Bible. It's the most common one called the inductive Bible study method. Um, really, we're just, it's almost like, it's almost like a method of reading well. You know, it's not, it's not like this magical method. 
Um, it's almost like a method of reading really well and studying and meditating and thinking about how it can apply to our lives. So next week we'll do the how. And um, I would just encourage everyone. It looks, it looks like you all like bring stuff to write on anyway. But especially for the how one, you know, to be able to jot down those steps and even maybe, maybe if you know the method, maybe I can share a few things or, or Scott can share a few things that um, will just deepen that. Maybe an insight or a way of doing it that you hadn't thought of before. And so if you bring a notepad, that, that would be great. So, um, all right, let's, let's uh, close in prayer. I have no idea what time it is, but hopefully I'm okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for saying that, Glenn. Father God, we thank you. Um, we thank you for your word. We pray even now you would create a deep gratitude in us for it. And I know that for many of us that have been around the, the church for a while, how easy it is to be numb to the truly amazing reality that you speak to us, you desire to meet with us, you desire to have a relationship with us. And you've allowed us to know you through your word. And so, Father God, I pray for myself and I pray for every person in this room. I wanna pray that you would remind them of the sweetness of the gospel and that we have been united to Christ Jesus. But I also pray you would ignite in each of us a desire to press in deeper into that relationship with you. God, we also pray for Israel. Lord, it's, it's hard to know even how to pray. It's so difficult to see what's going on there. But Father, we just acknowledge and trust that though we don't understand it, you are in control. And God, we ask that you would work over there in a mighty way, that you would end the suffering that's happening, that you'd bring peace, that you would protect those that are helpless and unprotected. And Lord, that your will would be done. We ask that you'd move in a mighty way over there and finally, Lord, we um, uh, lift up my father and, um, yeah, Lord, I just ask for your healing in his life. Lord, I also ask that peace of God would surround and would guard, would protect his heart and his mind in Christ Jesus. We pray this in your great name. Amen.